power tripping manager tells me not to do a critical task, so I maliciously comply and get him fired. Here's what happened. Subscribe to Am I the Jerk on YouTube and hit the bell for notifications. This was a few years ago when I worked in a four-star hotel chain that would be very well known and was part of a larger company that had hotels of varying status. I was about 24. There were a few of us that worked primarily in room service and the breakfast shift was always a solo shift. One morning I started and as was customary, I started doing my prep, folding napkins, setting up five by six trays with pastry, things like that, per the pre-ordered breakfast cards. So I would only need to grab the correct tea or coffee and hot food later, as well as a few extra all-purpose trays for the people who call for room service last minute. I get finished with this when the duty manager, who I can't remember his full name, but remember his nickname was Prem, bursts into the kitchen with a dirty plate in his hand and sees me in my area while putting it in the pile of dishes for the kitchen porter. He yells across the kitchen, What are you doing? It's so crazy out there that I have to help clear tables and you're back here. Get out and help. I replied that I hadn't gone up yet and was walking the halls collecting the trays left out overnight. And he yelled some more and repeated that if he, a manager, is clearing tables, I better help regardless of if my job is actually in a different area. For the record, Prem was a menace. I witnessed him yelling in college girls' faces until they cried several times. He would also routinely pick on anyone that was minimum wage floor staff. So I walk into the restaurant and the supervisor, Jen, is at the door and sees me walk in. She covers for room service and has worked it in the past, so she knows I should be collecting trays now so that the place doesn't look like a war zone upstairs. She asks if I've done this, and I say no. Prem sent me in to help because it's so busy. She says it's not very busy at all. They don't need me, and I should go upstairs and collect the dirty trays. I walk back into the kitchen, and Prem is still standing there. What are you doing? I told you to go in and help! I went in, and Jen said they don't need me and told me to go collect the trays. He then accuses me of going to her and asking if I can go collect trays to get out of helping. So I tell him he can go and ask her if she called me or if I approached her. This satisfies him that I'm at least not lying, but he's still not happy. He says, I'm the duty manager. Manager. Jen is a supervisor. I'm higher up, so you do what I tell you. Go in there and help clear tables. I don't want to see you going up to collect trays. I go back into the restaurant and Jen looks at me confused. I tell her that Prem insists that I help and won't let me go back upstairs and says he outranks her. So she says I should join the guys at station one and help their area. Breakfast passes and I pop out a few times to do my room services and come back with not much issue. My shift is until 3 p.m. and breakfast ended at 10.30. At this point, nobody's been upstairs and housekeeping will have been putting out dirty trays. I get a call on the room service phone from a housekeeping manager saying that floor four has a dozen or so trays in the hall. I tell them, I'm sorry, the duty manager has prioritized other areas at the moment and has said I can't go up. I start doing my afternoon prep, polishing cutlery and the like. About 12 p.m., I get another call, this time from the housekeeping's top manager. She tells me there are trays everywhere, and I politely apologize and explain that my duty manager has used the exact words, I don't want to see you going up to collect trays. She accepts this without question and asks that I help when I can. At 2 p.m., I get a call from the hotel's director of operations regarding the trays. At this point, there are trays in the hallways on all seven floors, and the place looks filthy. Again, I politely explain what instructions I've received from Prem. 
and this is accepted without further question, and he says he'll inquire into it. 3 p.m. arrives, and I haven't heard anything else, nor have I cleaned up the pigsty upstairs. My replacement arrives, and I tell him what happened and apologize for the fact that he'll have to collect these, but tell him why. He laughs and decides to leave it until somebody else calls and informs him they're there. Shortly after this, Prim left the company. Okay, so this one's maybe a little anticlimactic, but you know what? That's how a lot of real-world stories tend to go. I would say we have no guarantee here that Prem was fired over these trays, but considering our original poster got, what, three separate calls about these trays throughout the day? Somebody seems to be paying attention to them. It's probably more over his attitude than anything else. This maybe was just a final straw. If they were that difficult to deal with, there may have been other issues in the past that may have snowballed into this. Either way, you're better off not having to work with someone who can't take any kind of outside input. The whole high and mighty attitude doesn't get you very far. You have employees for a reason. You need their help. If you were willing and able to do it all yourself, you wouldn't be complaining about doing some dishes. So let your employees do the job they need to do. Your supervisor says they're fine? Take their word for it. If there are any issues later, you know who to talk to. Entitled Dad tries to call me out for not doing my job properly, so I embarrass him in front of everyone. I worked at Blockbuster circa 2003. When checking people out, there were two things you were supposed to do. One, read the titles of the movies and give the due dates. Two, tell people to have a nice day or night and hand them their movies on the other side of the security gate. So, a guy comes in with his two kids on a busy Friday night. He has a few children's titles and a softcore adult entertainment flick. I ring up the videos and tell him the due dates of the kids' movies and say, the other one is due on this day, trying to save him a little embarrassment. I walk over to the security gate to hand him the videos where I'm planning on telling him to have a good night, but he's still at the register. Confused, I look at him and he says, aren't you forgetting something? I think through the blockbuster process and can't come up with anything. He has an indignant look on his face and says, you're supposed to tell me to have a good night. I'm pretty stunned that a grown man is so reliant on the well wishes of an 18 year old, especially since I would have given him what he so desperately needed if he'd walked over to the security gate. So I say, sir, I'm so sorry. Have a great night. Enjoy your copy of, I look down at his VHS tape, then look at everyone behind him in line and raise my voice. Married people, single sex. He turns bright red and the lady behind him covers her face. Sort of felt bad for his kids getting caught in the crossfire, but there are always casualties in war. You'd think if he's so familiar with Blockbuster's process that he would know that you were about to say it anyway on the other side. Typically, have a good night is going to be the last thing you say to someone. So you would say it as you're handing it to him and he's walking out the door. It'd be a little weird to say, hope you have a good night, then walk over somewhere else, hand him something, and then he walks out the door. You guys know how it is. When you've said goodbye and then you both end up kind of walking the same way, you feel a little weird about it. Like you don't want to start the conversation again because you've already ended it. Normally, goodbye comes at the end. I don't know. Maybe this guy was just in a bad mood and felt the need to pick on the 18-year-old behind the counter. 
My brother and sister-in-law threw away my daughter's medication. Now, I've forbidden them from seeing her. I have a four-year-old daughter, Emma. I'm an alcoholic and I've been sober for two years. My brother was Emma's court-appointed guardian from when she was 15 months old to just before her third birthday. I had to fight for almost a year to get her back. My brother and sister-in-law are still upset that I took Emma from them and have called CPS on me numerous times and make it clear that they don't trust me to take care of my own kid. They love Emma and Emma loves them. So I try to take her to see them a couple times a month. A couple weeks ago, Emma caught the stomach flu from someone at her preschool. I'm in school full time and had a midterm that day. So I asked my brother to watch her for a couple hours so I could take my test. They said they were happy to take her. So I brought her to their house that morning with her medicines, a schedule saying when she's supposed to take which medicine and the dosage, along with a bottle of Pedialyte and a few changes of clothes. I came to pick her up after the midterm and half her medicines, her clothes, and her Pedialyte were gone. When I asked about it, they said they threw all of her medicines and the Pedialyte away because they were liquids, and they were already opened, so I could have put something in there to make her sick or sleepy. Not that it helps much, but I never hurt my daughter or gave her anything that wasn't recommended by her pediatrician. They also said I shouldn't be giving her Tylenol and Motrin, so they didn't buy her any Motrin. Again, her doctor said it's fine. Then I asked about the nausea medicine prescription. They said they didn't think she needs prescription meds for the stomach flu. They also felt her clothes weren't good enough for her, so they gave it to their neighbor for their garage sale and bought her new clothes. Meaning they most likely took her shopping when she was sick and should have been resting. I left with Emma and haven't spoken to them since, except to tell them they will not be allowed anywhere near my kid unsupervised. I'm working on Thanksgiving, so I was going to drop Emma off with my parents so she could see my family, but I still don't want her to be around them without me, so I'm leaving her with the babysitter instead. Now my family is giving me a hard time for not letting my brother and sister-in-law see Emma and are excusing what they did by saying they were just worried about her. Am I the jerk for not letting my daughter see my brother and sister-in-law? It sounds like they're mistaking who's the actual parent here. I guess there were some kind of issues where they needed to look after the kid for a bit. But you know what? You're on track and you're doing everything you can to provide for your child. These sound more like internet parents. They read stuff on the internet and just think that they know better than everyone else around them, including your pediatrician apparently. And to think that you're maliciously trying to hurt your own daughter is just crazy. Your family can't be enabling this kind of behavior and saying that, oh, they're just worried about her. No, that's not an acceptable attitude that you're out here trying to hurt your daughter and they're the good guys. That's borderline delusional. She is not your child. Yes, she loves you. Yes, you looked after her for a couple years. But I hope at the time that you understood that it wasn't going to be a permanent thing. I understand that you're attached, but you can't be putting down the mom like this. You need to be lifting her up and supporting her. My manager refuses to let me have a seat while working without a doctor's note. You know what? I won't need the chair after all. At the time, I worked at a cafe set over three floors, so my day generally consisted of 10 hours running up and down stairs. I had slipped on some spilt motor oil in the car park on my way home, and my ankle had bent underneath me. 
I had initially assumed I'd just twisted it, but several hours later, it was still throbbing, as well as swelling up so much that it looked like I was hiding a pair of golf balls under my sock. It had also turned a deep shade of purple. As my next shift started in less than 12 hours and we were short-staffed as it is, I didn't want to call in sick, but I knew there was no way I'd be able to stand or walk on it the whole day. I called my manager to explain to ask if A, I could switch to the register for a few days, which involved much less walking than my regular role, and B, borrow one of the bar stools to sit on behind the counter, so I wouldn't be putting too much weight on it. I figured this wouldn't be a problem as we had other staff who could cover the floor and there's no issues with access around the register that the chair could get in the way of. Apparently, I was wrong. The manager insisted that he wouldn't sign off on me having a chair without a signed doctor's note verifying my injury even after I sent him photos of my wrecked ankle. Since my general practitioner was already closed, I headed to the 24-hour walk-in clinic. An x-ray and a lot of poking and prodding later, the doctor told me I had to ice it every few hours until the swelling went down, which took almost a week, and to try and keep all weight off of it for at least a week. They also said I should wear a brace for another two weeks after that. When I explained what I did for a living, the doctor presented me with a lovely note explaining that I shouldn't be at work at all for at least seven days. I wish I could have seen my manager's face when I called to explain that I didn't need the chair after all, as actually I wouldn't be into work for the rest of the week and most of next week doctor's orders. Funnily enough, I was never asked to produce a doctor's note for the rest of the time I worked there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast I thought you would like called The Reslayer's Take. It's a brand new all-ages actual play from Critical Role that follows a new group of adventurers within Exandria. After six misfit mercenaries are rejected from the elite monster hunting group The Slayer's Take, they band together and battle supernatural creatures across the rugged continent of Isilra. It has fresh adventures for a longtime critter or is a perfect first dip into the world of Critical Role. Check out the first episode if you like what you hear and make sure you follow The Reslayer's Take wherever you get your podcasts. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.
I mean, hey, he asked for a doctor's note, you got a doctor's note. Employers really don't realize what you go through to try and make them happy. You're sitting there with an ankle swelled up to twice its size, and you're worried about having to call in sick. That shouldn't be the case, ever. I get that you're short-staffed, but you know what? That's not your fault. That's the management's fault. They need to hire more people. Unfortunately, though, they don't. And it's the employees that suffer when you call in sick. And that's why you end up feeling bad about it. But you know what? I guess the manager's just gonna have to figure it out this time. Maybe if you had hired more people, this wouldn't hurt so much because you'd have someone available. Extremely sexist man insists that another employee help him. You know what, let me get someone for you. While I was putting myself through university in the mid-2000s, I was working at a bicycle shop. I can honestly say it's the best place I've ever worked. The owners treated their staff very well. As a result, the shop retained loyal, highly capable employees that made loads of high-end sales. But what was somewhat unusual for a male-dominated industry in the mid-2000s was that there was an equal number of male and female employees. And these women were definitely the most qualified people for the job. One was an engineer for a bike company. One was a highly successful triathlete and XC racer. And even one of the owners was a woman. Almost having an unrelated university degree meant that I was by far the least impressive woman working at this place. I just liked bikes. One day, a man, maybe 50 to 60-ish, came into the shop. I was first on the scene. He said he was looking to buy a bike. And so I started going through the usual probing questions to determine what kind of bike he was looking for. Simple questions like, did he ride on the road or trails? Even the most incapable salesperson could use the answers to these questions to point the guy in the right direction. But he seemed highly resistant to talking to me or answering my questions. He finally said, is there someone else I could talk to? Maybe he just didn't like my sales approach. Or maybe I seemed too young to be knowledgeable. But since he didn't even give me a chance to prove myself and seemed to be staring longingly at my busy male colleagues, I had a hunch that he didn't think a woman was capable of selling him a bike. So I smiled and said, of course. Lucky for me, there weren't any idle male employees in sight. So I grabbed one of the other women that I worked with, quietly letting her know my suspicions about this guy. Before I was even out of earshot, I hear this man agitatedly say, I need someone else. Suspicions confirmed. So we purposely seek out yet another extremely capable female employee to help this man. When he sees her approach, he shouts, Just let me speak to your manager. So in struts the owner, who's very eager to join our malicious compliance stunt, with a beaming smile on her face. I'm the owner. How can I help you today, sir? The utter defeat on his face is something I'll never forget. I hate to break it to this guy, but as a 50 to 60 year old dude, these girls are probably way more athletic than you. And regardless, they work in a bike shop. They have at least some knowledge from just being around it. To just write them off immediately because they're female is just ignorant. What would have been really great is if you had one guy there who knew absolutely nothing or it was his first day or something and you sent him over. Meanwhile, the girls stand nearby and talk very in depth about bike stuff. That would have been another great way to deal with it. But hey, you guys had the numbers, and that's the approach you went for. My sister gave her daughter the same name as my stillborn. Four years ago, I, 30 year old female, lost my daughter Rosie through a stillbirth. 
It was a huge shock because I went into labor thinking we were going to have a healthy little girl at the end. But she never even took a breath. My husband and I were reeling from the shock. Nobody was sure why it happened either. We had announced to people that I had gone to give birth. And then we had to notify people that she was gone. I don't remember much from the weeks that followed. I got so depressed, I spent some time in the hospital after my husband grew so concerned about me. Last year, I gave birth to our son, and his arrival was a real turning point for me. I had done all the therapy and healing I could, but having my son helped in a way nothing else could. My family were always aware of this. Everyone knew Rosie's name. We'd announced her name at my baby shower and it was engraved on her urn. My sister announced her pregnancy in February and I was so excited for her. When she said she was having a girl, she seemed to take that I might struggle hearing that. But I was honestly so happy for her. She never mentioned the name. I never asked. I've always believed something like that is up for the parents to reveal in their own time. My niece was born three weeks ago. My sister posted the announcement of her arrival with her name, Rosemary, or Rosie. In her post, she declared that baby Rosie would go by Rosie, but they had given her a substantial name because they cared about their daughter's future, and how they didn't want to stick her with the juvenile name as her given name. I read through the whole post in so much shock that I had to read it two more times, and I needed to get my husband to read it to see if he read it the same way I did. The post read as being so condescending toward my husband and I. The way she dissed the name Rosie as a full name while also using it and never even gave me a heads up about it. The post received so much backlash that my sister took it down. Our brother told her she was being a jerk and to get rid of the post before my husband or I saw it. I didn't acknowledge any of it was happening. I didn't reach out to my sister and didn't reply to texts from her. But I did talk to my brother and I told him I had seen the post and so had my husband. That we had read it several times between us before it was removed. My sister came by my house on Wednesday. She didn't call or text ahead of time. She just showed up and wanted to talk. I told her I had nothing to say to her and shut the door in her face. She rang our doorbell and knocked several times before giving up. She sent me messages afterwards saying I needed to act like an adult and talk to her, and that shutting the door in her face made me a passive-aggressive jerk. That's just really messed up, honestly. Not only did you steal your sister's dead baby's name, but you also insulted it along the way. It takes a special kind of person to pull that off. It's really hard to blame our original poster for not wanting anything to do with her after that. It sounds like that post was just kind of venting the thoughts that she had to herself when you guys initially picked the name, but didn't want to say out loud. But to then steal the name on top of that is just so inconsiderate. What really sucks is this is probably set in stone already. Like, that's probably the name that's on the kid's birth certificate. Even if the sister wanted to apologize and do something to fix it, that's a really hard clock to turn back. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. Put the playlist on in the background to finish listening to all the stories, linked at the top of the description. And if you like Am I the Jerk, give Am I the Genius a shot, linked in the description as well. Either way, thanks a lot for watching, and we'll see you guys next time.